So I'm going to invite my other communicator up. My other communicator is uh, Heather Sund. I almost called her Pastor Heather, but she is a pastor. Heather is not only my spouse, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, who has been caring for relationships and individuals for decades in this community. She's also trained as a spiritual director in the sense of being trained by Ruth Haley Barton in a transforming community. She is passionate about seeing people's relationships transformed and their spiritual life transformed. And towards that end, her and some colleagues are putting together the first spiritual direction retreat for clinicians of care, both spiritual directors and counselors. That's coming in May, May 4th and 5th. You can ask her about that, or you can ping me and I can get you connected. But her and her team are building something to pour into the people that are healing relationships in the city by the one thing that really changes us, which is Jesus. Isn't that cool? So uh, I am absolutely delighted to finish this series with my partner of 23 years. I get emotional. Uh, it's, been, it's been a week, you know, like anytime you go to like, hey, let's preach Jesus together. Um, we end up, uh, Heather's going to, yeah, we've had a, we've had a week. Um, and so we're in this together. We're talking today about chapter five of first John, but in that regard, we're talking about really what makes our, our hope in Jesus secure. And how does this transform our horizontal relationships here on earth? So Heather's going to read us, I think, just the first five verses from chapter five of 1 John. We're reading and teaching out of the Passion Translation today. A lot of us carry NIV or NASB or whatever, but uh, we've been really enjoying this translation of 1 John 5. So Yeah, I think that this translation has such a wonderful description of these verses. Before I read, um, we are going to do something experiential later in the sermon today, so I want to set you up for that now. Um, If you are not currently sitting next to anybody, if you're new to the service, or this is a new community, or you're just kind of wanting a little alone time, I want to honor that, and at the same time, invite you into a community experience of worship today. And so maybe you scoot next to somebody, we're going to do a buddied up, or maybe maybe two to three people thing a little later on. So fair warning, the therapist is inviting us to do something. (laughs) So let's stand for the reading of God's word, the first five verses of 1 John. And before you sit, some of you might need to be relocating so you're close to somebody. Maybe shift towards a buddy or a buddy or two. Okay? All right. Thanks. So 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is God's spiritual child and has been fathered by God himself. And everyone who loves Father God loves his children as well. This is how we can be sure that we love the children of God, by having a passionate love for God and by obedience to his commands. True love for God means obeying his commands and his commands don't weigh us down as heavy burdens. You see, every child of God overcomes the world for our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. So who are the world conquerors defeating its power? Those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. Let me pray and you can have a seat. Jesus, thank you so much for the scripture. We pray you'd bring it to life in your people through this message today. In God's name we pray. Amen. Well, our message today is called Loving God, Loving Others, which is also the name of our series. And then there's kind of a parenthesis, easy, not easy. We're going to be talking about this like, sounds easy. It's not easy. We got to model that in our own lives this week of like, it sounds easy. It's not easy when uh, life comes at us uh, through all sorts of different difficulties. 
But in John, loving God and loving others is meant to look easy through the power of God lived out even when it's not easy in our lives. Uh, There's a um, a fascinating report I want to give you here as kind of our introduction that Bethany, recently we took the survey, all congregants that call this church home. We had 855 people that took the survey, which is kind of a big deal for, for us right now. We felt really excited about that. And just this week, we had an expert come and speak to us, I thought, about the survey. Turns out this expert, this guy named Matt from this company called Glue, which is studying what's going on in the church in America, talked to us for about 90 minutes about this survey. We're going to be bringing information back to you about some of what we learned through it. But he spent a lot of time following trends in the church and kind of giving us this like pep talk because what his company does is work with 200 of the leading churches in America, Bethany being one of them, called Lighthouse Churches. And through their research of Lighthouse Churches, they're connecting the dots of where there's spiritual hunger in the lives of people in America and where they're connecting to that hunger in the church, or maybe the church at times is missing its ability to tap into the hunger that people experience. We all know it's oft repeated. About a third of people have left the church in the last couple of years. So the hunger is like, God, how do you want to transform people? And then for those of you that are here today of like, what does it mean for us to be experiencing more of God's fullness in our actual everyday lives? One of the things that he shared as a testimony in, uh, in his uh, presentation this week to the leaders of Bethany is a research project. Now, this company that he was presenting from, they're founded by uh, some really wealthy entrepreneurs who are uh, interested in studying how to bring uh, transformation for Christ's sake into America. And so they did this city transformation project where they spent years and tens of millions of dollars studying how to lever certain things in order to understand what makes changes to people's spiritual life and thus changes to cities. So in this city research project, they studied Phoenix, Arizona, Dayton, Ohio, and then Jacksonville, Florida. How do you actually change a city? If you've been reading in Seattle Times, it seems like every week right now we're getting a different article about kind of the demise of Seattle, which we're included in, even those of us don't live in the urban core. But in the city transformation project, the research found four things could change a city, which is pretty remarkable. Four things. If you can impact these four things, then a city would start to change. And these four things were fascinating to me, that if you could decrease the divorce rate, if you could increase the marriage rate, if you could increase the birth rate, and if you could increase church participation, their research in Jacksonville, Dayton, and Phoenix, but in Jacksonville in particular, they found that those were the key markers, that as those four markers happened, built around relationship with God and others, the city started to change. And in the last year of the study, they saved the city of Jacksonville $18 million in court fees alone by increasing the marriage rate, lowering the divorce rate, increasing the birth rate, increasing church participation. It was fascinating because now they're captivating not just church leaders, but civic leaders. What is the secret to helping our city come alive? We all know it's it's Jesus. We know that answer. But how? That's chapter 5 of 1 John. It's some of the how that we get into this. Something that was amazing about that study for a marriage and family therapist, the divorce rate dropped by 30%. That's amazing. That's huge. 
Um, as we segue into kind of the overarching theme of what we're talking about today, I read this chapter with so much joy and so much of God going, yes, 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 this is the stuff. I encourage you first and foremost, spend more time in this this week. We can't nearly unpack everything that's in this little nugget of goldenness. So read it again and again. Um, as Scott mentioned, it's in here that the path is easy. We're supposed to love God and love others. It's my favorite thing to do, teach people how to love people better. It's probably my deepest pain point is why I'm so passionate about it. And it's so easy, right? No. <laughs> it's why I have a job. It's the hardest thing to do because people are awful and they're terrible. And so am I. I was thinking this morning as I was preparing the sermon, I'm a, I'm a summertime country music lover, and I was thinking of that song, I'm hard to love, hard to love, I don't make it easy. Yeah, that was this week. Um, <laughs> it's hard for to you, love. Was that for you or well, me? that was me. I, yeah, I was uh, being no. like, I, I got to my humble yeah. point this morning. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, he's hard to love, no, he's no, no, hard to love, me. he don't make it easy. <laughs> that, that was yesterday. Um, no. <laughs> God gave us, though, a vision for this. It's easy if we do it, if we follow it, if we live by it, if we commit to it. It is actually easy because guess what? It absolutely resonates with our soul and who we were created to be. And there's a ton of barriers out there. And we have a map that tells us the barriers and tells us the encouragement. And it does become something that is attainable. Whether it's easy or not easy, it is attainable. Mm. I love that. Let me dive into our first point here. The command, loving God and loving others. I'm just going to highlight the first couple of verses here. And then Heather's going to take verse 3 and 4. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is God's spiritual child. And he's been fathered by God himself. And everyone who loves Father God loves his children as well. This is what I really love about the Passion version of this translation. To love the Father loves his children. This is how we can be sure that we love the children of God. By having a passionate love for God and by obedience to his commands. You see this integration throughout 1 John, but certainly in these first verses of chapter 5. It's integration between obedience, between relationships, between discipleship. And we have these false binaries like, am I a good Christian because I didn't do sin this week? Am I good in relationship because I celebrated Valentine's Day? Am I? No. John's like, this is the integration of our humanity. That we are called every single day to be pressing into loving God, loving others, and obeying his commands. It is a singular work. It's impossible to love God without deepening our relationships with God's creation. And John has danced around this for five chapters, and now he continues with this clarity. There's no love for God that does not obediently follow his command to love others. And in this way, it's the relationships of our life that frame up the how-to of loving God and loving others. Relationships, says John, are the vehicle that we've been designed for Christ's transformation. Let me ask you in this room, how many of you experienced, as you were seeking out Jesus as a young person before you came to faith, how many of you were impacted by another human being? A mentor, a Sunday school teacher, a mother, a father? Every hand should be raised because none of us come to faith alone. Every single one of us learns about God's extravagant love, certainly through the word, but it's the word embodied in relationship. And Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And yeah, here we go. <laughs> the call 
is do not be burdened. This call is not burdensome. And as we look at these next verses here, um, true love for God means obeying his commands and his commands don't weigh us down as heavy burdens. You see, every child of God overcomes the world for our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. So who are the world conquerors defeating its power? Those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. Michelle said it during worship. She said, come as you are. You are welcome here and you are loved here. And guess what? Over and over again, it's the religious leaders that put too many barriers on people and say, you're not welcome. There's a bunch of rules and you probably don't even understand our language. So feel like an outsider. That's not the message of Christ at all. You come as you are, and we become victorious in power in our love. Um, this is what this means. If anyone observes a fellow believer habitually sinning in a way that doesn't lead to death, you should keep interceding in prayer that God will give that person life. So here's the formula for those of us, myself included, who see things in the world that just drive you crazy because you want to bring change. Good-hearted, judgmental, wherever you're at in your story or in your day, this is all of us. And yet, what our command here is to intercede in prayer, which is an act of love, which is an act of obedience, which is actually an act of acceptance because it trusts, the rest of this verse says it, that God will give that person life. Now, there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not encouraging you to pray for those who have committed, and it kind of goes on a little bit more about sin. But here's the point of this. God brings the healing. God does the work of transformation. He might call you to speak a word in a timely moment, but more often, he is calling us to find ways to love the unlovable, to move into relationship, to have a conversation of connection and understanding, even and probably especially when there's people in the world that are hard for you to love, because that is the message of the gospel. The um, author of this verse, St. Francis, says this quote that I love, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. So as we move into this uh, idea that we are seeking to redeem relationships, it is hard. Um, as a therapist, I will say boundaries is a big word, right? We can, we've heard of boundaries. We know boundaries exist. And I will say boundaries often get misconstrued. Um, you've, if you've ever heard me preach about boundaries, uh, and, and in the therapy office, I often say boundaries are not meant to be barriers. They're meant to be buffers. These are not meant to be fences. They're meant to be a way to relate better on a more human and loving level. Sometimes there needs to be a barrier. Sometimes when abuse and harm, so don't hear me saying that, you know, we need to stay in relationships that truly, truly cause us harm. Because typically two people have created an issue where boundaries will bring buffers of connection. And to illustrate this, we're looking here at um, the idea that, you know, we are in a culture where... I will say cutoff is kind of rampant right now. Cutoff and division and uh, my, my ideals over your ideals. And I clearly can't be in relationship with them because they think differently than me. And I want to say as a professor of adolescent development, and I taught lifespan development at SPU, and I taught at Trinity Lutheran adolescent development, I love stages of life. And this is 
to me, reminding me of a season of adolescence. Adolescence is so special. I now have three teenagers in the house. It's awesome. I love these human beings. They're amazing, and I love my 10-year-old too. They're amazing and wonderful. They're discovering who they are. And part of this process of becoming independent is asserting differences. Differences in thought, differences in belief, differences in opinion. I have one kiddo who decided in adolescence that clearly we had spaghetti every single day that we remodeled our house when she was in fourth grade. I'm no longer eating spaghetti. All right then. Well, we will honor that this is a boundary and this is a person that is discovering who they are. That's a little thing. But in this season of becoming who you are and finding your opinions and strengths, sometimes when families are too rigid or too diffuse, which means there's just not a lot of, of, of boundarying, there can be division and cut off and fights and separation. Now, if some of that's happening in your house, don't feel pathologized, like this is normal too. But if you just can't find inroads, then this is kind of where our culture's at. You think differently than me, I am out. I need my independence. And, and, and so I'm just gonna commission us all Let's grow into maturity together. Let's find our differences. God forbid you might be in the same church or the same room as somebody who votes differently than you or sees things differently about how we should look at LGBTQ issues or abortion or the best diet out there. Is it paleo or plant-based? Come on, like get on board. This is not areas where we need to be divided. We can have our opinions. We don't need to eat the spaghetti but we can be together in unity around a buffet that brings us into deep and rich and meaningful connection with others, even when we disagree with them. This is part of this message, that we are called to come together over and over and over again in finding inroads of unity and connection and peace. And this is where I'm going to invite you to come together. I, I don't know if Brian Lee's here today, but, she, but he did a fabulous, he's working on a documentary that I hope you guys all get to see, um, where listening well is something I saw over and over again on two sides of very difficult issues. Um, what we're going to do is actually this exercise that we do often in the therapy office, but we're putting a faith piece to it. Near your buddy... What I want you to do is connect with one another and your job, one person will talk about a concern that you have, a problem that you've been facing, something that just feels difficult. Now, not maybe the worst thing ever because we're going to do this in a short amount of time. Uh, we can't solve all the world's problems in the next five minutes, but I do want you to share something that's just burdening your heart that maybe you don't have a solution for yet, that you just still feel stirring in you. For the listener, this is the tell me more experience of presence. Your one and only job is to provide presence, which is looking in their eyes, understanding, nodding your head, saying things like, tell me more. And my people in my therapy practice say, you say that a lot. It makes me feel so good. I say, that makes sense. Tell them that they matter in your, vo in your body language, in the reflections, but don't solve, don't tell your own story. Literally just say, tell me more in different kinds of ways that feel natural in your tone. And um, we're gonna come back together. So about three to five minutes, one person is gonna share. Maybe you have two or three people together, that's okay. And the other is going to invite listening, deepening, tell me more experience, okay?
All right, any questions? Normally I'm teaching a class. I want this to be clear. Okay, all right, come together and we'll give you a little bit of time to do this exercise together. Okay, as we come back together, I kind of hear us winding down. You probably didn't solve any big problems today. But I want to tell you something. This is powerful. And even as you're kind of wrapping up conversation, and I'm sure there's more to say, this exercise is actually better done in a 15-minute time frame, and then you switch, and then the other person gets to talk. I'm going to encourage you to keep having that conversation that you're having. There's probably more to tell, and ideally, you're sitting by somebody that either you really love and want to connect deeper with, or you're getting to know, and how much even better to be connecting with new people today. Here's what's awesome about this. This is based on a study where they put people in a room and they, they, they commanded, commissioned them to do this. Mm-hmm. Just spend 15 minutes chatting with the other person. They share a problem and you deepen and deepen and deepen and just merely be a good listening presence. Now, we've all heard good listening skills and I swear everybody that comes to my office is like, we just need better communication. It's like, actually, you need so much more than that. Mm-hmm. But this is a good starting point. Mm-hmm. To listen well. To listen well is life-changing. Actually, neuroscience teaches us that when we have a loving presence who we can tell really hears us, really cares about us, our brains co-regulate. The stress that we are feeling softens, and we feel, at the end of a good conversation, not only better, but like we can actually probably solve the problem. Now, Maybe you didn't get to the solution here, but in 15 minutes you might have. And this is what this research study showed, that after 15 minutes, at the end of the conversation, everyone said, yeah, I feel like I have my my solution. And the person on the other side said nothing of a solution. How often do we feel pressured to solve people's problems or to tell them, I have been through that too. I know what it's like. That's not good listening. Listening is actually showing presence and love and connection, and that's all we need to do is to simply show that we care. Guess what? That's what this chapter is all about. God is going to do the transforming work. Guess what our first and foremost job is to do? To love and be present to others. And here's what's amazing. Even better when we completely disagree with somebody and when we're actually in a conflict. And I recently had a situation with somebody that I had to talk to about the way they did something in a way that was harming children emotionally, and I was so upset. And when I chatted with them with all kinds of opinions about how they had handled a tough situation, I started by saying, tell me how that was for you. And as they told me, oh, these accusations of how terrible these children are, I just listened and said, that sounds hard. And I see your heart. I see you really care. And then at the end, asked permission to say, maybe we could handle that a little differently. But in the beginning, I sought to love them so much. And in the end, we were unified in that. We could come together over common ground, even though the approach was very different. So I will say, when you love somebody, listen well. When you really disagree with somebody, Listen to them really well. And this is life-changing stuff. And that's what John said to move in this, what we're calling the commission. Here's your third bulletin point. We're going to look at three different sections of scripture here as we kind of 
head for home base here, but the commissioning is living in the victory of Christ. And as you were all sitting there talking, Heather's like, like, I want to take pictures. They're doing so well. This is, uh, it's inspiring because oftentimes we make, you know, at church, like we come and listen to ideas and we're like, good luck out there. But like flipping the classroom, like the work of the church is the equipping of the saints. And it's that, that's philosophy shift from like, you know, the yellow taxi cab to Uber of like equipping a nation of taxi cab drivers versus somebody that wants to own that like Christ has empowered you with his spirit within you of like, not for Uber, but for Christ, like in your relationships, in your everyday walking, you don't need a pastor to tell you to do this. You have the scriptures, you have God's spirit, and we get to do this together. It's where church matters so much, not the messenger, but the message in our lives lived out of Jesus. So this commissioning here, as we kind of look at a few key chunks here throughout the end of chapter five, let me just highlight a few verses that really pop for me and then Heather do the same. Uh, Picking up in chapter five, verse 10, those who believe in the son of God have the living testimony in their hearts. Those who don't believe have made God out to be a liar by not believing the testimony God has confirmed about his son. And this is the true testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life has its source in his son. Whoever has the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son does not possess eternal life. As we wrap this series up, you know, chapter 5 is really centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. In theological terms, we call this Christology. And what John is saying is, this is our testimony. If we believe in the Son of God, we have life. And we are made for contribution in God's kingdom. We are equipped. We are called. We are anointed. And yet there's an obedience factor to not drift off of that and lose our identity and lose our calling. And and Jesus is calling us back through the power of his spirit in our lives, this truth we have in our hearts. So as we love God and love others and this, this movement of equipping God's people to be deeper and deeper engaged, this is the real Like, what's he really doing in your life? Love God, love others. Got it. It's a bumper sticker. No, no, no. No, live into it and guard yourselves against a deception that your life and identity could be found in anything else, in any other identity other than what Christ has done in our hearts. This is our testimony. Absolutely. And as we move into this time of our conclusion, I just want to share the joy I had in studying when I got to meet with the teaching team. Do you know how awesome it is that we have this teaching team? All the pastors of Bethany get together, study scripture together, come up with an outline. It's amazing. feels like you're in the upper room. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. So as I was reading scripture with all the other pastors and preachers this week, these verses really stood out to me as ones that just brought me so much joy. Since we have this confidence, we can also have the great boldness before him. For if we ask anything agreeable to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we also know that we have obtained the requests we ask of him. First John five fourteen through 15. This is absolutely the easy, not easy. This is where it talks about, so we just pray, right? We put our prayer coins in the vending machine and the gummy candy pops out. And life is sweet and good and delicious because I put the coins in and I prayed and I did my part, God. And so it's supposed to be the equation. It's not the equation. Look at these scriptures. This is actually so incredibly hopeful because if you look, it says right here, for if we ask anything agreeable 
to his will. That's key. We start with having our hearts right. This person over here needs to stop their sin. They're terrible. Let's check our hearts first, maybe. But we need to check our hearts first. We are first praying in agreement. God, I want to agree with your will and your goodness. That is key. And then guess what? He solves all the problems. Nope. He will hear us. He is the great presence. He is listening. He is not always solving. He is actually not moving in and saying, I'm going to wave the magic wand and do exactly what you said. That's not what the Bible says. He says he will be with us. He is present to us. He loves us. We know that we have obtained the requests we ask of him because he is with us in our journey. And to illustrate that, I will tell you that the power of presence is profound. And one of the reasons that Scott and I had a little bit of a discombobulated week is we flew out to Ohio on Monday morning on a red-eye flight to be with our dear friend Anna Guerrero, the friend of our church here, as she buried her mother. And it was a terrible tragedy that she's going through this. And we can't solve it. And guess what? We prayed for Patty Bush. We prayed, our church prayed, our church leaders have prayed over and over and over again for her cancer to be healed. And guess what? There were many miracle moments along the way. And there were beautiful times of rejoicing. And we prayed near the end of her life, continued to pray for hope and healing. And guess what? She has passed on. And God is still good because we are present to each other. And we flew out not to fix it, not to tell her that everything's okay because she's in heaven. She is, and we rejoice in that. But it was our presence together. And I will tell you, the generations of presence that Patty Bush brought into her life is a testimony. If you never met her at our church, you were changed by Patty Bush's presence. And over and over again at her funeral, people shared the testimony of her life. She listened. Her eyes were penetratingly beautiful like her daughter's, and she looked at you with intention, and she cared about you, and that was shared over and over again. And when we went to be with her, when we went to be with Anna's family and Maro and their children, we simply were there to bring presents, because you know what? Not as an equation, but they've been there for us over and over again, and this is how we love one another. We simply show up, and we show our presence for one another. I cannot solve or take away Anna's deep pain right now, and I wish I could. But I'm going to walk the journey with her, and I'm going to listen when the days get hard, and I'm going to laugh with her when she tells silly stories about her mom, because those are there too. And we are continue to walk together and be the presence of Christ to one another. He will not always solve and sol give solutions to the prayers, but he is so good. And he is with us and gives us strength for any challenge that we have to endure. Now, we're going to move into a time as we close with worship. And I'm going to call our prayer team forward. I'm going to call our worship team up. A final verse from you, uh, for you is from uh, chapter 5, verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come. And has given us understanding. So that everyone in Christ in this room has. You have his understanding. That we would know him who is true. And we're in him who is true. By being in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God. He is eternal life. We have understanding. We have the truth. We have understanding. 
we have the truth in Jesus Christ in our hearts. And so as we move into a time of worship right now, I'm just going to encourage us to just close our eyes right now, to kind of listen to God's Spirit who will speak to you in the smallness of your heart for understanding, for truth. Ask the Lord in your heart with your eyes closed, what's a relationship that needs tending to for the sake of the gospel in my own life? God will speak to you. He gives understanding and he gives truth. Or maybe you want to ask God the question, what feels like a burden that God wants to unburden by the power of his spirit? It's just not easy. God, where do you want to make it a little bit easier? And also, church, just ask the Lord where you can lean into your faith to experience more of the victory of his spirit in your life this week. He's promised us not just understanding or truth, but victory. What a declaration. Spirit, speak to your people now. Speak and lead them. So Lord, thank you for some moments of worship. Thank you for this journey you're on teaching us to be a congregation that knows how to listen well to each other and to your spirit. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the declaration that in faith, you live in our hearts. God, if there's people in this room right now that want to recommit their heart to you, they've, they've drifted, they've, they've made something else an idol, they've, they've lost hope, God, would you penetrate their heart with your peace, with your love, with your hope? Would you bring their dry bones to life right now in this space, God? God, would you encounter your people God, we love you. As we close and worship, we pray you'd continue to speak to us, continue to stir us up, continue to, to boldly press us into an encounter with your spirit, move beyond something in our minds, but something alive in our hearts, in our fingers and our toes, disciples who know you through experience. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your understanding. And all God's people said, amen. I want you to stay seated. And in just a moment, Michelle's going to lead us into worship. And when you're ready, you stand with us and sing. But if you need some moments to just stay seated and to stay in prayer, to Keep thinking about something that the Lord's doing in your life. Just stay there in that space. But then when you're ready to turn your eyes upward and to lean in with your whole heart, we'll start to stand as the Spirit moves and finish our singing together. Let's enter into a time of worship now.